thank you for the opportunity to come and, and share with you this morning. Some 33 years ago um, this month, I went to um, an office, I think it may well have been at City Temple. Um, and there I can remember as um, a very young 20-year-old sitting opposite a very tall and very imposing man called Michael Davis, uh, where I was interviewed by the then Synod moderator of the Thames North for, um, to go forward for assessment um, for ministry. One of the beauties, I think, of being a moderator is that when people feel the call of God upon their lives and offer themselves for ministry, uh, they, the first port of call is to come and see the moderator. And so only this week I had um, a young lad uh, come to see me. I say young because I'm old. Um, he was in his early 20s. Um, it's the second time I've seen him. The first time I recommended him, but he felt that perhaps it wasn't the right time for him to go forward. And so his path took a different course. And then some three years later, he's come back to see me again. I don't know whether Michael will remember any of the questions that he asked me on that day some 33 years ago. But the one thing that stuck with me is, was about who was Jesus for me. Now, he may not have couched it in those terms at all, but that question stuck with me. And that's the question that I will ask and have asked Josh and will ask um, people who come to see me. It's an invitation for them to tell me something of their Christian journey. As I explained earlier, uh, I have two children. Uh, the youngest one at the moment is very much, she's very dramatic. Uh, very dramatic indeed. I mean, he could win several Oscars just in the way that he is at home. Um, don't, uh, that's another beauty of being a moderator is you can talk about your children and they won't know <laughs> because they're elsewhere um, but uh, Ross recently had to um, do a, um, a monologue he, he was entering um, for a, a lambda exam and uh, this particular monologue was um, he was Calvin and Calvin was lamenting about deciding what he wanted to be when he grew up. And as Calvin, he went through a long list of, of things that he would like to be. And then he thought about his father. And um, the, the kind of monologue went along the lines of, um, well, my father wanted to be, but actually he became. And then he thought about other people he knew, his best friend's father, who wanted to be, but became something else. And the conclusion of this monologue was Calvin sitting down with his head in his hands saying, why is it that adults, grown-ups, never become what they want to be? Now, that's just a, a monologue that he had to perform. But it did set me thinking about our journey, our Christian journey, and whether we truly realise and become the people that God intends us to be. Now, I can say this as your moderator. I don't actually know very many of you personally, so I don't know what your Christian journeys are. 
The passage that we had read to us from Mark asks that question. Jesus says, who do you think I am? The answer is very interesting. Peter responds with that simple, simple statement of faith. You are the Messiah. You're the rock, says Jesus in return. And on this rock, I will build my church. I can imagine that for Peter and for the other disciples, this is really one of the high points of their journey in the company of Jesus in those villages around Caesarea Philippi. Jesus is the chosen one. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the great and the glorious king that the people are waiting for. And they would make their way to Jerusalem. And it would be this journey of celebration. I can imagine that going on in their minds as they acclaim and praise Jesus for whom he is. But then Peter and the others are brought down to earth. Because Jesus tells them what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He gives them that first prediction in the Gospels of his trial, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And then he declares Peter, the rock, as a stumbling block. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And so, as Jesus does, he expands on what he means by giving an explanation that reverses all Peter's expectations. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. When we look at those words with hindsight, of course, we can take them quite literally because the way of the cross for Jesus' disciples meant painful execution. And for at least some of the disciples, including Peter, it's going to mean martyrdom. But it won't mean that for us. But what it does mean is continually being a disciple and making countless of everyday decisions to follow where he leads. It means standing up to be counted as one of those who tries to follow Christ. I haven't got perfect children by any means, 
Those of you who have met my children will attest to that. But um, not long after my 15-year-old started at senior school, um, a quite quiet and mild child, so we thought, uh, was involved in a quite horrendous fight at school. Um, Don't agree with fighting at all, but he doesn't even fight with his younger brother, so why should he be fighting? When we unpacked this, um, we found that uh, he had seen an injustice. Micah tells us to act justly and love kindly and to walk humbly with our God. He'd seen something, stepped in and got hit. And what does an 11-year-old boy do in return? He hits back, he defends himself, so he said. I don't, as I say, condone um, fighting. But in his explanation to the teachers about why he was involved, it was, for him, simply a matter of Jesus saying, you don't walk by on the other side. As a Christian, he said... He couldn't just walk by on the other side. The school did say that he came out with his Christian principles and integrity intact. However, he still had to do his detention as a punishment. But for him, standing up and being counted and trying to follow Jesus meant getting involved. For him, following Jesus meant doing as Jesus would do. I wonder if we've had any experience of of following someone, whether we realise it or not. Um, I wonder, now this does show my age, I wonder how many of us remember the purdy haircut of the 1980s, which was the kind of pudding basin haircut, or the Rachel haircut from Friends. Well, how many of you have um, bought something because you've seen it advertised on television? Go on, hands up. Have you bought something? Yeah, yeah. We do. We do it all the time. It's advertising, you know. Um, We're influenced. We are followers by nature. For Peter and the disciples, that person was Jesus. In the early days, they may have followed him simply because of the charismatic influence that he had when he first called them from the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But charisma would only take them so far. There would have to come a point when charisma was not enough, and their decision to become disciples would be based on what they knew of the man, what he taught them, what he promised them, how much they trusted him and how much they believed him in him and whom they believed him to be if anyone wants to be my disciple he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me I think they're quite difficult words if we are to take them quite seriously because denying yourself means literally submitting yourself fully to another person In the earliest days of the church, both Christians and Jews would pray to God, standing on their feet, with their arms outstretched. But over the centuries, Christians began to pray with their hands held together, and 
the particular reason for that was that when an army went into battle, if the army was defeated and if any of the soldiers were taken prisoner, then the hands of the captives would be tied together at the wrist so that they could be led back to the victor's camp. So putting your hands together is a sign of complete surrender. It's like saying, I'm now in your power. Do with me as you wish. A couple of weekends ago, I um, had the privilege of leading an elders retreat. I don't often get asked to do that. It's not quite in my job description, but once asked, um, and my heart really is quite pastoral, um, I jumped at the chance and I took the theme of growing disciples. I said at the outset of that week that discipleship is at the heart of many of the challenges that we face as a church today. Questions about how to be a follower of Jesus, how to be a community of faith, hope and love, and how to make new disciples. What I discovered on that weekend is that our discipleship should be based on four values or themes. The first is L, is for learning. Learning's a lifelong process. Learning's not just about absorbing lots of information, it's about having the confidence to use what we know. And it recognises that learning leads to positive change. It values how different people learn and that the aim is to share our good news. The second thing that we learned is O, is for openness. Learning is most effective when we're open. So aim to be as open as you can with your own thoughts and feelings and trust that others will listen. And be open to others' thoughts and feelings. Commit to be good listeners and learners, especially when other people's ideas are different from your own. And aim to be open to God, speaking through one another, taking notice of the quietest voices and the most vulnerable. L is for learning, O is for openness, V is for vision. As we learn openly with each other, our purpose grows. And that should help us as a church, not just the church here in Linfield, but the wider church, Southern Synod, the United Reformed Church, or even wider, the worldwide church. That should help the church rediscover what it's for. And that may mean considering what it's not for. One of the marks of a healthy church is doing a few things and doing them well. You could take this as an opportunity to be ambitious. What are your ambitions as a church? How do you hope to be God's new sign in your situation? L is for learning, O is for openness, V is for vision, and E is for engagement. 
how do we engage with each other in a new way? Not just within the church, but outside the church too. How do we deepen our relationships in order to make a positive impact as a community of Jesus' disciples? You know, taking up our cross is something that we do voluntarily rather than enduring something that's forced upon us. It's the giving of ourselves. It's sacrificial living. It's the difference between being involved and being committed. It's either being an interested bystander, watching a man carry his cross, that's one thing. But to take up your own cross is something quite, quite different because that is commitment. Since becoming moderator, the words that echo in my ears are, who are we? Translated into church speak or synod speak, what kind of church are we? Are we a big, small church or are we a small big church whatever we are we are church people committed committed to making a difference we are the people of God transformed by the gospel announcing good news to the poor proclaiming freedom for those in prisons of wealth poverty disease and disorder, committed to making a difference to the world's kingdoms as we live Christ's kingdom. Micah says it perhaps more simply. We are to act justly, love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Who do you think that I am is an individual question that requires an individual answer, but it needs a corporate answer as well. Let us be encouraged then and see ourselves as God's people together, transformed by the gospel and making a difference for Christ's sake, for that is what the world is waiting to believe. Amen.